0: Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited today. I've got Stephen Thrift on the other end of the line. Um, he's an accredited career coach with a fascinating story about adversity. So I'm so excited to, to hear your story. Welcome to the show, Stephen.
1: Thank you very much, Petra.
0: It's uh, great to be with you and thank you for the introduction. No problem, at all. Thanks for joining us. Um, so give us a little bit of context. Uh, what are you passionate about at the moment, just in, in life and in, in work?
1: Um, well, in over the past five or six years, I've become really, really passionate about personal development, and uh, that um, translates into um, the career coaching that I do. Um, it's it's uh, not just a not just a job for me; it's it's absolutely a hobby. I love the, the studying, the background reading. Um, I even enjoy all the admin that comes as part of the, well, the role, and then of course there's yeah. the work. Then, of course, there's the, the working with people and seeing them them grow and uh, improve their circumstances, which is just incredibly rewarding. Absolutely. Um, other than that, my other big passion is uh, rugby. I'm a big fan of Newcastle Falcons. I think they're going to have a great season this year. Lovely. And um, finally, I'm married with a nine-month-old daughter who is uh, just absolutely amazing and brightens up every day for us.
0: Oh, amazing. So so sweet. Um, and uh, I know that this o- hasn't always been uh, your your work and uh, you've gone through a journey yourself in order to get to the place that you are and giving back and feeling so passionate about what you do. So take us right back for a second. Um, give us some context about what it was like growing up for you. Do you feel that sort of the education system and your parents uh, prepared you for the real world? Like, what was that like? <laughs>
1: It's funny you say that. Um, I, I have uh, talked uh, with those um, people in the past about probably being prepared for a world that, that doesn't exist. Um, I was um, I was brought up in uh, in Newcastle, um, and my parents split up when I was uh, when I was six. Um, they didn't get on for a lot of years, um, and uh, my brother and I weren't always uh, hidden from that. Um, they were very rarely in the very very rarely in the same room out of a courtroom, um, but you know we, we did kind of know what was going on. Um, both my parents quite uh, quite short tempered, um, very loving people, but uh, they had also grown up in um, in single parent families themselves, both of them, um, and I think they um, they both carried hangovers from that. If I'm if I'm honest. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that perhaps contributed to me being perhaps a bit of a nervous person. Um, and then things, uh, as we'll probably talk about, happened at, at school that uh, kind of contributed to that as well. So I feel like I was brought up with a, a huge sense of right and wrong, which is, is obviously a good thing. But I I feel it's it was very rigid. Um and perhaps not actually, you know, children are there to be seen but not heard. It was a bit later than that. Um, but I think very much to the point where I didn't feel like an equal in um, in the family, certainly not compared to my parents. Um, so in a way, I feel like I had a really good childhood in that um, despite my mother not having a lot of money at all, um, we never really... Uh, you know, we had, we had holidays, and we, we never, ever went hungry. Um, we always had, had clean clothes um, and a lovely house. Um, but I feel like as, as I grow older, I begin to realize that um, perhaps it, was, it, it, it has contributed to some of the emotional difficulties I feel now.
0: There's a bit of a thread, right, from how our parents raise us or the context that we're in into how we deal with, with life, I guess. So, so what was school like for you? what What was that experience like?
1: Um, school was very much a journey for me. Um, and you're, you're right about how how our parents uh, raise us has a huge impact because when we're, when we're very young, we take in everything as uh, as gospel. Um, and uh, you know it, it forms the core beliefs and values that we have throughout our lives and and where. Life turns out to be different from that. It can cause real conflict.
0: It'd be a shock um, to the
1: system. Yeah. So in in first school and then for a long time in middle school, I was I was a really great student. I was what what uh, you know you might call a straight A student. Um, I never got into trouble, or if I did, it was it was very rarely and very minor. Um, I was in quite small schools, uh, just sort of uh, local ones. Um, and that was good. I had a lot of friends. Um, and then I went to high school, and things were, uh, were a bit different there. I was still kind of getting on OK, but my, my grades slipped um, to the point where I, I did quite well in my GCSEs, but I barely passed my A-levels. Um, so when I went to a different high school up in, uh, to one that I the linear system would have took me to. Um, I went to one in, in Northumberland. So outside of the city, and uh, I only actually knew three people when I went there, Um, which, you know, I don't think that was a unique situation in such a good and a location. Um, But I think I was starting at that point to become a bit more of a nervous person, uh, finding it difficult to make new friends. Um, sort of the major difficulty I had in my, my GCSE years, which is that um, I was I was bullied quite um, quite severely by, uh, ironically, a um, a boy who initially um, I became quite friendly with, and I thought we were we were going to be friends, but it uh, it didn't really work out that, that way, and so that was that was a traumatic uh, few years for me.
0: So it was very specifically one individual that sort of terrorised you or, or made your life quite difficult at school.
1: Yeah, definitely, um, and it's you know for a long time I didn't really think about this. This is more than slightly more than half my life ago now, um, when I finished my GCSEs. Um, but when I went through it with a counsellor a couple of years ago, it it, it was a very emotional experience, and it made me realise that perhaps I do have some some hang-ups about it still. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, this this boy. He was he was violent towards me. He was uh, uh, verbally abusive. Um, but the more I I thought about it when I was doing it with the counselling and we went through various techniques, I began to really think about why it happened. Um, and that wasn't necessarily why why it was me uh, that that he picked on. Um, it was. It was quite clear. I was, uh, you know, I was. I was quite soft. I was overweight. I was quite timid. I didn't have many friends. Stereotypical easy target, really. Um, so the so the main questions for me, therefore, were well, why was why was he bullying somebody? And I became to realise that he was the same as me in many ways. It was just that he clearly wanted to be friends with some of the. Um, the, the tougher kids in um, in our school,
0: yeah.
1: um, and I think this was the way he he felt he could um, he could impress them. And what was very interesting was that he um, from one occasion where uh, where he uh, attacked me quite badly in, in the playground um, while we were playing football. Um, he never actually attacked me, sort of outside of the classroom. It was always in there while the teacher was out or anything. You know, it could have been. You'd think it would have been quite easy for him to come up to the, the other end of the field where I was playing football and attack me, but he never actually did that. And so that also made me wonder if, if maybe he had quite a sort of stressful and aggressive um, life, and um, this was and, and sort of when he was bored and, and struggling with something like in, in class, then that um, then that side would would come out. Um,
0: I think people people no, I don't,
1: like was, I don't think it was ever really about me. And, if, and to be honest, if it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else.
0: Yeah, but that's a huge way of shifting how you look at it. Because as a kid, you would feel like a like a victim, like you're being attacked yeah, in empathy. some way, all those sorts of things. And so somehow the work that you've done, you're actually describing it with a level of empathy for what his experience oh, empathy, was.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I would. I would never ever want to see him again, um, obviously, and um, you know I'm, I'm sure I never will. Um, I did <laughs> his, his, his face and name pop up on Facebook a lot of years ago, and just all right, I'm not going to get into that block straight away. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, obviously, I was I was quite frightened uh, of him. I was I was nervous whenever I knew I was going to be in a class with him, or I, or I expected to be. Um, if I ever sort of saw him at at, at lunchtime or whatever, I would, I would be wary. Um, but I think the major feeling that I, that I felt was kind of a feeling of, of, of feeling powerless and and weak and not, um, and just, just being unable to do anything about it. So, you know, I, um, I never taught my mother. I never taught my parents. I I did tell my mother actually a, a year or two ago. And, uh, her reaction wasn't quite as it wasn't a a huge reaction but it wasn't quite as as positive as I hoped for and that kind of backed up the fact that I you know she would have had a negative reaction if I told her when I was young you know I felt like I felt if I told her she would have got angry like uh, why haven't you why didn't you hit him back why don't you uh, tell a teacher why didn't you tell me before and it's like you know I really need support you I don't need you to be angry about this yeah um and again you know i don't feel like uh, i know it felt like you know telling teachers would would make any difference and again i was just embarrassed because i wanted i, I wanted to stop it but i, I just didn't know how of
0: course.
1: um that was the the sort of major uh feeling that i had but um yeah as we as with the help of the counselor i went through a lot of uh things where we talked about um and we did. We did. where well, we talked about you know what his reasons could have been. We did some some role play, um, the parent adult child um, sure. technique, wow. which I thought was really really good. Um, both both for mine and what I imagined his uh, parent adult child states to be like. I um I I did actually come to feel very sorry for him in the end. That this was the only way he felt like he could um. Gain what, and, and this is probably very subconscious. Uh, gain what, what he wanted, um, whatever that was, that he felt this was the only way he could do it, or the best way he could do it. Yeah. Um,
0: some kind of power.
1: And you know, I always feel like I'm sorry I didn't quite catch that.
0: Some some kind of power, so he could play out what he maybe didn't feel in other areas.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and I do wonder if perhaps the people he, he wanted to be friends with had, um, had bullied him previously. I don't know, or they, they did, or they, he was kind of the um, I'm not sure what word you would describe it uh, the kind of lickspittle of the group, perhaps uh, yeah, so who, the was, who was looked of, down The cycle that.
0: of abuse just kept going Very yeah, exactly. Him. So I imagine just that feeling of powerlessness shame, embarrassment, those sorts of feelings possibly followed you throughout different periods of your life. And of course, the the podcast is very much about the theme of adversity. And so I'm wondering, Mm. going through your life, what other things sort of showed up that maybe brought out some of those same feelings?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, um, difficulties I've had at at work in different periods. Difficulties uh, in my in my first marriage, um, but I do I do kind of feel now that I've I've forgiven this uh, this lad, um, and as much as far as I as far as I can.
0: It's huge. Uh,
1: um, so uh, yeah, and um, like I say, I, I I understand that it was never really about me. That you know he was he was showing weakness by the only reason he could the way he could get what he. Felt he needed was to uh, attack somebody who was isolated and wouldn't fight back. Whereas, you know, and, and there, were, there were times I tried very hard to fake an illness so I didn't have to go to school. But my mother was a bit wise for that. Um, um, you know, I turning up every day. I was uh, showing a lot of strength actually. So um, that's uh, that's quite good. That's and um,
0: it's a total retime of how you were experiencing it. Yeah. Longer
1: and the great thing is that um there was there was something that i found i remembered in the process that i'd forgotten for perhaps a lot a lot of years it was the last time I, I certainly saw him in school i think i saw him once in in newcastle city center like a little while later but if it was him he never he didn't see me yeah. um but we had the sixth form open day and um so none of us were in in my we're in school uniform we were in suits and ties and I walked along the corridor, and I don't think he saw me, but he walked past me, talking to somebody else. And I just looked at the heavens and thought, "My God, this is never going to end." Um, but after a few, and I don't know what at what point it happened in when I was in sixth form, and I and I, it must have suddenly clicked that he wasn't coming back. Um, and uh, and looking at that now, I would say that what that taught me is that um, you know almost every every bad thing does eventually come to an end and um you know just got to to fight your way through it as best you can really does that make sense
0: yeah it does do you use that as a bit of a mantra when other sort of bad stuff maybe occurs that you just have this sense now or this evidence base that it will end and you just have to hold on or like how does that support you
1: i think i'm a lot more proactive now in doing um in trying to solve problems um But yeah, that is something good to keep in the in the back of my mind. That um, you know, even when it's uh, even when things are uh, are looking really bad, you know, it's eventually going to pass over, Um, and uh, you know, you probably most likely survive it.
0: That's a nice way of looking at it. And and I know that you've had some some additional um, adversity that you face. You talked about your your first uh, marriage falling apart. But also, there was a process for you around work that has led you to the, the passion and the path that, that you're at now through personal experience. Give us a little uh, sense of that.
1: Um, well, perhaps uh, start by talking about my first marriage, if I may, because that, that comes sure. first. Um, so, yeah, um, my, uh, my first wife and I had been together for two years, um, and uh, we, were, we were both. 22, I think. Um, we have been together for a couple of years, um, and I was I was still in my last year of university. She had graduated. Um, she was she had struggled to uh, find a job initially, and part of the reason for that was because she she wasn't from the EU, and um, she struggled to find someone who would give her a work permit. Um, so she found a job, but she couldn't get a permanent residence off that. So you know, we decided that we would get married. The idea, certainly from my point of view, as well, you know, I want to be with her for my whole life, you know, we'll probably get married anyway. Um, so, might as well do it now. Um, so, we were, um, we always had a bit of a volatile relationship in that we were both very, sort of, very passionate and, and at times angry people. Um I found that, again, I found that very difficult to kind of talk to anybody about the fact that we, we didn't get on all the time, um, and that, um, frankly, we could both be violent sometimes, so, um, you know, she, she did actually uh, hit me a couple of times. I uh, I never hit her, but I did, you know, throw things around the room, and that sometimes that's it's unfortunate, but that, that is what happened. Um, and then so uh for a, we were married for maybe just over a year year and a year and a few months and uh, then her kind of uh attitude seemed to uh, to change a bit um, she had uh, got a new job where she stayed for for long hours um we just weren't getting on very well i didn't uh I didn't sort of recognize that that I could do anything about this, so I was becoming more unhappy, I started drinking more than I should have, Um, and obviously that didn't make anything better, I should have been thinking about how we could uh, get on better rather than being unhappy and drinking, but that's what happened, and eventually, um, I can remember, we were in a park one day, and she got angry with me, and I said to her, look, what the hell is going on, why have you been being horrible to me for the last few months, and she told me that she wanted a divorce, So i mean with hindsight that shouldn't have been a huge shock but it was and over the next and and you know i was i was distraught because you know i didn't even though we weren't getting on very well i didn't really love her and i wanted us to keep going so yeah over the following year until we we did eventually get the divorce finalized i uh, you know continued to to drink quite heavily actually um there were there's a couple of times I can remember. You know, I was probably still drunk when I went to work the following morning, um, and I didn't particularly like the fact that was going on. But I but I I sort of it was difficult to stop in a way. Um, you know, I used to uh, get out of work and think, right, at home and I can, I can have a drink. Or uh, I remember probably the worst night. I um, I got home from work at um, three or four o'clock. was working early shift, and I thought, right, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight, I'm not going to drink tonight, no way. And it was very difficult, and then eventually uh, it got to 7 o'clock, and I went downstairs to the the corner shop on the bottom of the block and uh, got some beers and drank a few. Um, And at that point, I kind of thought, right, what am I going to do here? Yeah. So yeah. I did. Yeah, like I did. I did look up uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous and that, and think you know I'm, I'm not sure I'm a full blown alcoholic yet, but I think I do have some kind of dependency.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. So the divorce finally went through. We, um, well, I, I, I sent her a letter saying that you know we need we please sign this right back and say that uh, to agree that we'll never have any financial claim on each other and we'll never have to see each other again. She sent it back. Very good. Um. And uh, how I kind of then got, and that, that was uh, quite good in sort of uh, healing.
0: Um, Stephen, so you've talked a bit about your history. You've talked a bit about your school time, the stresses there, the first marriage, descending quite rapidly into drinking, uh, and, and sort of not being in a, in a good place. Um, and I'm wondering if you had any kind of rock bottoms at that point where it just really felt like do or die. I've got to make some new decisions to move out of this.
1: Um, well, like I said, probably the worst, uh, moment in in terms of the drinking was that that monday where i i tried really hard not to drink but i ended up doing it anyway um but i think it was kind of a quick decision i made that right okay i'm not going to drink mondays to thursdays and then but i'm not going to try and control it the weekend. and. Um, that kind of helped me in a way, but then just being in a new environment in the, in the new flat. And then I got a part-time job and, um, maybe not go into too much detail, but I've actually been thinking recently that, that those first couple of years after my first divorce, they were probably such an amazing time. Um, I didn't understand it at the, at the time and appreciate it. You know, I had, uh, I was earning probably the most money I ever, I ever did from, from proper employment. Uh, I didn't have any commitments. My, my mental health was, was great. Um, so, yeah. Are you it,
0: saying it, that in it, hindsight?
1: Uh, sorry. Are sorry, you
0: what? are you saying that in hindsight that you noticed now that it was the best time, or did you realize it then?
1: No, I, I, I yeah, I was just thinking about it recently. Yeah, so I, I perhaps very quickly went from a, uh, a a very low point into a uh, what I didn't appreciate at the time was a very high point. Um, so. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, now things are, you know, I have a lot more commitments now being being married and um, with a daughter and uh, and uh, doing my own business. Um, so, I mean, now is a fantastic time as well. But I think about it, it was just such a carefree time for me. Lovely. Uh, so, see- yeah.
0: And so then I know that you, you kind of your employment was going good and over time things shifted a bit to make you kind of move into and transition into working for yourself. Tell us a bit about what changed within the work environment or how it affected you.
1: Well, so the job I was doing at the time of the sort of the, the, the bad times and then the really good times, I was made redundant from there. And I walked pretty quickly into a new job with my, uh, my old boss who'd helped found a company um that was the start of 2011 and that was just going really brilliantly um i really really enjoyed it you know it's a really great guy Uh, i was working with uh, the company was growing and then in early 2000 you know in, in late 2011 i met i met the lady who's now my wife mother of my daughter so that was that was going really well as well and then early 2012 something just seemed to happen and i wasn't really aware of it um for a little while, I didn't know what was happening. I just became a very sort of frustrated and and angry at certain things. So the clear um, clear issue seemed to be that I was struggling with the the sort of background noise in the office a lot. So people people coughing and sneezing and that. And I did not really know why it was happening. Um, I remember that um, my. Now, wife and I went to Portugal for a week in early 2013, and I thought to myself, you know, maybe I'm just stressed. You know, we'll go over there for a, for a week, and you know, um, I'll calm down a bit, and I'll come back, and I'll be fine. Um, and, and, and we went over there; and it was it was great. We had a great time. Um, and then I came back, and it all just seemed to start happening straight away again. Um, so that was perhaps the first indication that something was a bit wasn't wasn't quite right um, for a few months. Um, because of our working patterns I'd gone I'd go to uh, meet meet my wife at work in the afternoon after I'd finished work and uh, get the key for her flat and I'd, I'd go and have a sleep or something um, before she finished and she would comment that I that I always looked really angry and unhappy when I turned up um, and that was was kind of worrying her a bit and obviously didn't give a great impression to her, to her colleagues and patients at the hospital um, so she sent me to uh well she's both of us she got us uh, some sessions through groupon or voucher with a, a personal trainer um who turned out to be a um he, he worked as a life coach as well and stevie's called uh ironically and and he and i just just hit it off straight away um to the point that you know he he still coaches me now um he taught me a lot about sort of uh, theories that he'd he'd read up about and how he'd gone from you know being unhappy at work to uh, to finding what he really loved to do. So um, so that kind of helped me sort of work my my head out slightly. Um, the problems that I was having with with sort of noise and, and anger and that it, it it intensified to become sort of out of the workplace to uh, to the whole of my life and then, but I still didn't understand what was going on until in. I remember it was in December 2013, I was reading the uh, the Daily Mail's website. Uh, it is useful for something, uh, it turns <laughs> out. Um, I read an article about a guy who had uh, he jumped in front of a tube train at a station in London. And, um, I, and for some reason, I clicked on the article, and it said um, this guy suffered an obscure condition called uh, misophonia, where he would be sort of really stressed and frightened and angry at certain noises, and, and it just clicked, this is what I'm suffering from. And I find that a lot of people uh, on support group uh, find out the same way. They struggle for a long time, and then they have a moment where they read it and think, "That's it." So that was kind of a. Um, it was in, in one way it was good. It's like, okay, this is something real. I'm not. I'm not going nuts. Um, this is actually a real condition. On the other side, it's like, oh bloody hell! People have actually committed suicide because of this
0: um and did you did you go to a a gp obviously it's so obscure that this isn't the first thing a gp sort of goes oh let me do that checklist and mm. diagnose you with that which is why it seems like people are finding out through articles or support like that sort of thing
1: but well I've, i've seen various counselors uh over the years um since then um i've um I'm actually finally making a go of uh, of c b t therapy at the hospital, so we're going to see what what happens with that really but I think um I found that that some therapists they they didn't know anything about it and i I felt that they didn't really know how to help me so in the way i' it it's not i don't i wouldn't say it's any better than it's ever been, but i'm I'm able to keep a lot more of it inside which again that's not necessarily a great thing to do a lot of the time but when you feel very angry thoughts it's uh it's often just the best way to do and release it in appropriate time like scream when i get back to the car or something sure
0: and uh, then so how did this you you begin to notice that this is happening uh you you maybe have this revelation of what it might be uh, but you're still in an employment, right so how did yeah, you uh, even manage that did your managers get it or did you get any support there
1: I had at the time. I had possibly the. I was working in Manchester, and I had possibly the only manager who's ever really tried to understand. So he put me into occupational health. Um, but I was I was on a contract uh, for maternity cover at that company, and yeah, uh, you know, he said, "Look, this job is about relationships, and the fact that you know you need to uh, you know have your headphones in to block out noise a lot of the day isn't isn't it isn't." Conducive to the job, so I'm afraid we're we're going, not going to renew your contract. Okay, I went to another company where up here in Cumbria, where I just hated it. It was a terrible environment. Uh, it was never right for me. Um, I got out of there after seven months. Uh, before they could sack me, they they would have sacked me. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a uh, an office in Preston. Um, again, they they. One boss I had tried to get me into occupational health, but I ended up in disciplinary because I hadn't disclosed this this condition in the um, application process. I should have. The reason I didn't is because I thought they wouldn't employ me. Um,
0: and can I just say that that like, goes into lots of people that have a variety of mental health issues, the, the fear yeah. and the stigma, right, that we don't put it Definitely, on those kinds of yeah. forms.
1: Um I feel like if I look back on it, I, again, I was on a contract there for a, to help with a certain project. The project got stalled, and I feel like the reason that I, they eventually wanted to get rid of me was to save money on, on this kind of thing, and they looked at me and thought, he's given us a fantastic reason to get rid of him. He'll be the one to go. So I don't think it was, I think that, I don't think it was because of my illness that I was sacked in a way, but I think that it, it gave them an excuse. Sure. Um, I was not at all disappointed when I was sacked. I thought I'd go back.
0: Um, was it getting worse for you? Like, over time, did it progress, or did, was it just kind of consistently there?
1: Getting worse in itself. But this is – so when I got fired, we're now in February 2016, so this is four years after it started, and it was it was just clear to me that, that office work just wasn't working. Yeah. Um, you know, it was always going to be the same anywhere I went, so – Right, um, I, I got myself a job in a in a bar, um, and I was I was quite grateful because I, I disclosed everything to them I had to, and they they gave me a chance, which was great. Um, so I, I think it wasn't that it was getting worse; it was more that I was beginning to feel a bit more despondent and thinking that you know that I'm, I'm okay, I can't work in an office. What am I going to do now? Um, what am I? Going, what's my my future hold in terms of work and that? Yeah. Um, Ironically, while well, no, ironically, actually, it, it it actually happened because of the disciplinary. I started working with with Steve again, my coach, and uh, I, right, I'm just going to have to find myself a new career, and I kind of had an idea of what it could be. Um, I knew that it had to be something where I would find something fulfilling, where I could see the tangible benefit of helping somebody, because. Um, so a few months earlier than that, in 2015, I'd been to a, a workshop in London led by uh, Jack Canfield, um, the American success coach. And uh, I'm watching him up on the stage talking about all this stuff about uh, success principles, law of attraction. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I could do that. I could, I could talk to people about this. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I love talking about personal development. Yeah. Um, and then uh, probably one of the most emotionally intense moments of my life, he um he started talking about a guy called Ken baring and um and if uh, and if we could just take a minute or two to explain exactly what he said, he briefly told us the story of Ken Baring's life, he said, so Ken Baring was born in the Great Depression uh, in in really severe poverty, um and he grew up to become a multimillionaire, like in the Forbes list and everything through cars and property. And he divides his life into four uh, different uh, sections. So the first one is called stuff, and his book's divided into this as well, um, where you know has a nice car, nice uh, you know house, um, all that kind of things that you get when you when you're rich. Sure. But still, he still thinks well, I'm not really happy here. So uh, he has the second stage of his life called more, where there's a better plane, a uh, a better car, you know, a nicer house, more houses, and that. Yeah. Still not happy, so he goes for different. He buys the Seattle Seahawks uh, NFL team, and uh, you know all kinds of things. Um, but again, he's still not really feeling uh, joy. And what? And he's, he's getting into philanthropy at this point uh, because of all the money he has and all of his rich friends. And one day, he's doing a mission to Africa in his private plane, and as his, his one of his rich friends says, "Oh, can we stop off in Romania on the way home and, and just drop off a few wheelchairs?" You know? So, oh yeah, yeah, fine. So they go to the wheelchair uh, delivery and, um, and Ken Baring he picks up this guy who's been, you know, never walked in his life, puts him in the wheelchair. And I'm shivering as I tell you this, as I do with everybody, because it was such an, a huge moment for me hearing this story. Um, he puts him in the wheelchair and the man looks up to him and says, thank you. Now I can go out and smoke with my friends. And he just turns away and like, I'm, 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 I'm glad I could help you, you know. Mm. I thought that was the first time he ever really experienced happiness in his life. From something so simple, and it um, led to led to finding its purpose. So he founded the wheelchair foundation that does uh, gives out millions of wheelchairs to people in in poor countries. Um, got involved in water projects and all that. And at that moment, I thought to myself, right, I need to find a uh, I need to find a career where I can make that kind of impact. And I thought about the work I was doing at the time. I'm I'm working in the HR department, pushing spreadsheets of a of a huge FTSE 100 company. It's like would it make any difference at all if I wasn't here? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. You know? And um, so yeah, then then when I was fired from my job, I was working with my, my coach Steve, and we uh, we came up with uh, with coaching as a possibility for me. So I um, yeah did it did a diploma and um, started working in that, and it's. Uh, you know, as we were just talking about before we started the uh, the interview here, uh, yeah, you know, there are there are ups and downs, peaks and troughs. Uh, but I mean, the you know, I've just had a, a session with a guy this morning. I've been working with him for three months, and uh, it's really making a good impact on him. I absolutely love it, above the uh, even above the the obvious uh, you know financial benefit that I get from the work.
0: So it's the the, the purpose, the fulfillment absolutely this is what i need to hear today because it can also also be like lonely and stressed and like trying to build the business side but then it's in those mm-hmm. moments when you speak to a room or you train a person or you do the coaching or the therapy or whatever it is that we both do when you see the little like light bulb moment or the little thing that's just going to impact the entire path of their life it can get us yeah. really excited um
1: you get to the end of, you, you, every few sessions you just say All right we've been you know can I just ask for some feedback on how you think we're working together and all that and anything you think that needs to change or that I could do better. And they, they explain some things that you could do, that you could do differently or whatever. But they also say, you know, they, they just naturally explain the benefit that they're getting from the, from the work. And, um, that's just, just really amazing. Um, I say it's above the financial thing. I've had a few people who, um, they, they give me money for like three or four sessions and they only ever turn up to one. And it's like, well, I feel really frustrated about that because, yeah, I've got your money and I don't have to work for a lot of it, but you know, it's been an absolute waste of of your time and your money. So, um, you know, and
0: you're in it for helping to create impact, right? Uh, so it's you're yeah. frustrated for them that they're not investing themselves in it in the way that yeah, they could, and,
1: I, and that I haven't been able to to do for them what I what I felt I could do. Yeah,
0: and so you've you obviously had these moments where you found some purpose and, uh, direction and have begun to build a life, you know, of success through that, which is outstanding. Mm -hmm. But the, the misophonia didn't disappear, right? It's still something. So, so I'm curious about like, how do you manage your own mental health amidst the stresses and the daily life stuff that you, uh, kind of put yourself out there for?
1: Well, unfortunately I do avoid a lot of things. I don't go out into social situations very much. Um, it's one thing, it'd be amazing how much, uh, how much money you don't actually spend when you're, uh, when you, got <laughs> you, don't, you don't go to the pub a lot, you don't go to do a lot of things, you don't eat out a lot. Um, does,
0: it, does it feel lonely though and isolating?
1: It is because a lot of people don't, a lot of people, and, and you know, I'll be completely honest, if I didn't suffer misophonia, I wouldn't believe it actually exists because it's so strange and weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can half understand why people wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be understanding. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's something, it, it's something that's kind of always there. and I, You know, you go out, people are going to make noise. It's not something I feel I can explain or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, and, and it does feel quite lonely at times, really. Um, but what well, all I have to do is just kind of keep plugging away. And I I, I do a lot of self-talk where if I'm starting to feel stressed, I'll, try to tell myself how that I'm, that I'm really safe right now. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong. You know, I can make these noises if I want to as well. Um,
0: just is to kind try. of what people yeah. who've experienced trauma kind of do to just talk yourself down in a way and, and yeah. ground yourself with the present moment.
1: Definitely. Because it's, 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 it's a bit like, um sort of uh trauma of um you know where where the flashbacks or the memories come up where there's no threat in that particular moment but your brain is perceiving that there is and and i think with misophonia there is probably some link to difficulties in my my youth which i'm trying to get through uh with the um which i'm trying to, to work with the cbt therapist so yeah your brain is perceiving the threat and you have to try and talk it um talk it down to say no that there's nothing wrong in this particular moment, you know, just uh, just cool it a bit, please. Um, and it's not it doesn't always work, but it's uh, it's at least something I feel I can I can do you're, to try and uh, manage it.
0: You're learning as you go along.
1: Through, pretty much yeah
0: everything um and again back to this theme of of adversity and we've covered quite a few things through the the bullying the the divorce and uh dealing with misophonia and even career transition um mm. you do you think that we need adversity in our lives to help build the character or the people that we are today or is it just a bit of an annoy, annoying thing that we wish we could avoid
1: i think we probably don't need it um you know there are, there are people who, who are very lucky to have, um, you know, parents or, or meet mentors early on. Um, or, you know, have just people in their lives who inspire them when they're young to find uh, their purpose or, or what they can, what they can do. Um, the majority of us don't have that. Um, so, you know, if adversity is what, uh, what it takes to, um, what it takes to, uh, to help us find our purpose and, and what we can do to be happier then uh, you know, at least we're, we're making some good out of it. So obviously I know your story, uh, Petra, that, you know, you've, um, you know, you had an extremely difficult childhood and youth and, uh, yeah, there's that, that's happened. The question is, what are you going to do now to, uh, to make it, um, to make it worthwhile is what I was about to say, uh, but, uh, to in grow up and, um, and yeah, in, if the misophonia hadn't happened, then I, might not well have been where I am now. I might have just been working in an office feeling, uh, you know, not, not depressed necessarily, but, you know, Slightly still unfulfilled, feeling that, uh, you know, I should be doing more than this. But, you know, it's easy. I'm earning an average salary. can can support my daughter and my wife and everything. So just keep doing the easy thing.
0: So I guess that's what I mean. Sometimes the adversity kind of disrupts what is our average. Like we could get away with average or mediocre. We get the Mm -hmm. adversity, it disrupts it, and we're forced to ask ourselves some serious questions and maybe adapt our whole lives, which is what you've done. But then because of that, you're able to have the impact that you're having on so many different clients and people.
1: Yeah, so in my case, the average wasn't possible anymore. Um, So, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Actually, yeah, the average wasn't possible anymore because of this adversity. So I then had to find something new, and uh, and it did force me to have a good think about what um, what would be more purposeful. Absolutely. Does that answer your question. Yeah, it
0: does. It does. It does. Um, and so yeah. and so, uh, we're getting to to the end of our time. But I'm curious, what advice would you give? to somebody who in in any of these stages so either that you know we can go right back to the the bullying phase um the 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 divorce like uh and then dealing with a mental health issue what advice would you give to that person who might be feeling hopeless and like there's no one to turn to in order to just take the first step into finding their purpose or looking after themselves
1: well, the first advice I could do that they could do right now is to email, or if they don't want to call, they could email the Samaritans, and uh, at least then somebody is listening. Somebody will will reply. Um, I've done that times myself. Um, other than that, my my key advice would be that um, that life life goes on, and uh, you know the bullying. Um, you know those time when I when I kind of felt. You know, it's all in, it's all encompassing in my life at that point. And there was a time I thought this is going to go on for two more years. It didn't, fortunately. But you know, life life goes on from there. You know, there was a time I never thought I'd, I'd sort my head out after getting divorced, but I did. Um, you know, life does go on, and uh, often time you just you just learn to live with things, perhaps, um, or you do recover from things. Sometimes you need help, and uh, you know, if you do, absolutely go and get that. Um, it doesn't make you weak at all. And what, what is weak is keeping it all inside and, um, and, uh, not, not trying, uh, to make anything, uh, to make anything better. Um, you know, fighting through that fear of weakness is actually a a great strength.
0: I love that Uh, because life
1: life goes on. If I could distill it into three words,
0: I, know, yeah. and I love that because often uh, we notice, we, we sort of think, oh, good times are going to pass. They're not going to last forever. But we don't often apply that to, well, bad times are going to pass. They're not going to last forever. Like yeah. things yeah. evolve. We evolve. New people come into our lives. But also the asking for help thing can be mm-hmm. so hard, especially when you're like, oh, nobody's even going to understand this illness. You know, it's it, it could be fake or or it's like no one's going to understand the bullying or take me seriously or whatever. Like it's in those moments that we still need to seek out the people who might just allow us to offload in some way.
1: Well, often often the people close to us don't understand, unfortunately, or they're not sympathetic. Um, but, you know, just keep looking. There will be somebody who can help you somewhere. There's six well, seven billion people in the world right now, you know. Uh, there's bound to be somebody who is, uh, and, and and no no one ever has a new problem. Um, you know, whatever problem you're having, somebody somewhere in history has suffered it, and they've written a book about it. Um, and more than likely, um, these experiences have been used in um, therapy courses. So there is, there is a book that can help you, or there's a therapist somewhere in the world who can help you. Um, and if, you know, somebody doesn't understand or isn't sympathetic, then... You know, frankly, you know, work out whether what what you're going to do about that. Whether they're uh, whether they're worth being around, perhaps. So
0: they're the right people to have in your yeah. life. Absolutely. I think if I,
1: the main lesson I would take out of um, the end of, the end of my first marriage and also the, the struggles I've had in the last few years, both of which have led me to suicidal thoughts sometimes, is that you know, life keeps going on, and that um, you know, you do survive almost everything that happens to you. Um, you know. It's, it's really true that you're not defined you don't have to be defined by what happens to you but how you deal with it and how you come out of it um and it kind of leads you to better things so you know sometimes I do think you know if I hadn't had this mental conditions I could be just sitting in an office earning 40,000 pounds a year quite easily you know not a lot of stress yeah. but I think for a long time you know I've always felt like there was, even back to a the teenager, there was something in me that I was wanting to, uh, that I was wanting to, um, to discover and let out. Um, I'm just going to throw in a really great quote here that I read as a teenager, and I, I didn't know what it meant then, but I read it again recently, and it, and it just made so much sense. It's quote by the uh, footballer Eric Cantona from when he was having a lot of trouble at Manchester United. Obviously, a very temperamental guy. Um, I'm a very temperamental person as well. And the quote is, um, "I have a firing fire inside me that leads me to want to create something i can 't have this fire without accepting that sometimes it wants to come out and do harm i 'm aware of doing harm to myself and others and again my my passionate nature hasn 't always benefited me, but what I think it it does is it shows that you know i was I was meant to do something more than just sit in an office five days a week for work." Uh, doing nothing but making money for shareholders.
0: Absolutely, I love love that quote, because it's the, the fire in your belly. It's like you've got a superpower, but you've got to learn how to focus it. And sometimes we've got to go through our life of you know firing in the wrong direction and burning shit and hurting ourselves and all of that in order to get to that point where we can focus it. And once that energy is focused, I mean, just amazing, ridiculous things are, are possible. Um, so I definitely see that on, on your journey and resonate with it myself. Thank you so much for your, your wisdom sure. and your story. If people want to connect with you in some way, where can they find you?
1: Well, my website is uh, Stephen Thrift. That's uh, Stephen with P-H. Thrift is T-H-R-I-F-T dot co dot um, i I'm also on Twitter at Stephen Thrift. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, so as you said at the start, I, uh, I specialize in helping people uh, improve any aspect of the career they're looking at or just finding and creating the career that they dream of and um it's an absolutely fantastic career to be involved in and anybody who uh who feels like they could use uh, that kind of help at the moment please do get in touch
0: absolutely amazing we'll add all of that into the show notes Stephen, thank you so much for your time and of course me and you are going to hang out
1: i'm sure yeah thanks you. thanks very much for listening Pedro. i really enjoyed that we'll talk soon